You're listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us at 1pc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? And what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives, who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But, they are, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. It's the word of God for the people of God. One of the more pervasive errors that has been in the church uh, in America for a very long time has been this thought, this idea that if Christians just do the right thing, follow the right steps, acquire the right technique, people will come to Jesus. Uh, that, that if we just um, are persuasive enough, if we show love enough, if we do the right things, and if we can get the right um, presentation of the gospel and, and maybe just, you know, we have all the right answers, then people will flood into the church. We, we've acquired different techniques over the centuries to make this happen, where it's something that if we just do this, they will come. If we, um, you know, for the very early part of the 20th century, it was um, Finney's New Measures of Revival, where you played the appropriate hymn, played enough verses that somebody will eventually come forward just to get you to stop singing, that you, you, you come and you, the altar call was one of these inventions that was brought in, that a lot of hymns that were just kind of tugging on your heart to make a decision, and the pleas from the pulpit to come forward were part of this. So the focus was, um, it, let's follow the right technique and people will come. Later on, maybe you can remember um, the rash of if you build churches and let's start with a gym and, and later on add a worship center because what we get people to come to is entertainment. And if the, the youth group is enough excitement and we have a bigger facility, people will come and they will become part of our church. Um, <laughs> It wasn't too long ago, it was arguments over worship, and a lot of the arguments over worship was this idea that if, if we played music like people enjoy listening to, they will flood into churches, 
and become believers and and make sure that you're preaching what they see as relevant so let's do away with anything about blood or cross or sin or anything like that and let's talk about felt needs of how to have a better relationship with your children or your spouse or how to get along with your boss at work or how to think positive and get rid of negativity all these ideas that if you just acquire the right technique you you get people into the church and it sticks with us. We just keep arguing over what that technique is. And then we see Jesus. I love this passage because it's, it's church growth according to Jesus. He reaches out with real compassion and real love. He provides for the needs of the people by giving them bread to eat. He multiplies loaves. He feeds 5,000 out of compassion and love for them. And he gathers a crowd. They chase him. They follow him. And here at this synagogue where these who he said, they're, the, John is using the term disciples, not as those who have truly come to faith, but disciples of those who are following and listening to Jesus and, and seeing what he has to say and, and believing that he is from God in some sense and believing that he has power to do something in their life in some sense. But as soon as Jesus tells who he is and what he came to do, the response turns sour. Jesus has just um, finished this lengthy saying, we're told, in the synagogue where he's explaining that they want to come to him because he gave what they needed. He gave them bread. But what he's really there for is that he's the bread. He's, he's what they need, not to provide for something else for their life, but he is what gives life. And that he is the one who has come down from heaven. He has come from the Father to live among us and that he will give us life by himself giving up his life, his body broken, his blood shed, and that this must be taken in such an intimate matter that he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they say, well, this is a hard saying. It is. It's a hard saying to say this is not a mere man. This is God himself in our presence, the Holy One of God, because if that is true, then I'm not going to stand in judgment over what he tells me. I have to receive what he tells me as though it's the word of God, not something I can take into consideration, but something I must obey. And, and it's a hard saying to hear that he must give his flesh and blood because you know, if you think that through, what that means is I'm not in such a wonderful, good position of who I am that I'm acceptable to God for any, without anything less than Jesus giving up his own life. In other words, I'm not acceptable to God who I, as, as I am. I'm only acceptable because he had to give his own life to make me acceptable. That's a hard saying. It's a hard saying that I, I can't just, you know, kind of keep on doing whatever I'm doing, but now I have to come to him in such a way that I'm trusting in him and believing in him that my whole life now listens to him as my Lord and I follow in obedience and trust. That's a hard saying. And it's a hard saying because, as Jesus says,
the flat, well, if I can find it. <laughs> um, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. In other words, the way we come to trust in him, the way we come to eat his flesh and drink his blood is because the spirit works in us. In other words, the flesh, who we are by nature, our, our own person of, of, you know, just who we are apart from him, rejects him. I mean, we, we might like the idea of Jesus, and we might like the idea of Jesus providing for things that we need, but we want to use him as something to acquire what we want rather than truly coming to him as he is. And so the flesh in itself is opposed to God. The flesh cannot submit to God's law. It despises the things of God because the flesh wants to be God ourself. I want to be in control. I want to be Lord of my life. And apart from the work of the Spirit, I'm going to see Jesus as either a tool to get there or an impediment to get there, but I still want to be in control. And it's nothing less than the Holy Spirit working in your heart to bring you to faith in Christ. Have you noticed over the past week how many times in this chapter Jesus has said, you can't come to, Jesus, to, to him apart from the work of the Father, apart from the work of the Spirit? Um, Verse 36, I've said that you uh, have seen me and yet do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And in this passage in 65, he said to them, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. In other words, it's easy to build a crowd. It's very easy to build a large church. It's easy to get a lot of people excited about something. But it's nothing less than a miracle of the Holy Spirit to bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ. Because it's not the flesh. It's the Holy Spirit, not our spirit. It's the Holy Spirit at work to bring us to trust, to hear his word, and to believe. Now, in one way, that's, that's wonderful news for us. I was thinking the other day that if I really believe that what you need to have a relationship with God is this word, and for, for the understanding of the word and the implications of the word, my job isn't to be persuasive. My job is to be clear. You know, I, 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 my job isn't to, to stir up the emotions and, and get you to think about something and persuade you to make a decision on something. My job is just to explain what this text says and let the Holy, Holy Spirit persuade as he will. And it, it, it can be discouraging to think that when people hear the word, if they're in the flesh, they reject. If the Spirit works in, they accept. And it's, it's not based on our technique, our ability, our skills, but it's based on the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, which means there can be someone who will never believe no matter how well you present and how clear you present because the flesh is of no use. And whether that flesh is our own flesh to understand and, and trust, or if it's the flesh of all of us trying our, our best to come up with um, a strategy, the flesh is no use. But here's the other thing. There's people in your life that you don't have to be afraid of sharing the gospel because if you share the message of Jesus, 
It doesn't matter if you don't know all the answers. It doesn't matter how much you stumble and bumble. If the Holy Spirit is at work, He takes that message and grants new life because it's up to the Spirit. It's not up to us. Our job is to present the Word clearly and watch what the Holy Spirit does. And what the Holy Spirit does at times it's to divide and distribute and, and say, I'm going to reject this. I, I don't want this message. Sometimes hearts are hardened and people turn away. There are those who come to faith, but there's others who turn from it when they understand the gospel and they understand the implications. Some might know the truth very well and decide it's not for them. It's a hard saying, who can listen to this? They take offense to it. And many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I joke about a Presbyterian revival being you start with 175 and end with 50. Jesus had 5,000, he winds up with 12. He doesn't care about numbers. He doesn't care about um, things that tend to excite us and, and um, get accolades. What he wants is people who trust in him and hear his word and obey his word, who listen to him and say, you know, I'm not going to test this against my opinion and try to make a God who I won't, but come to him and say, you have the words of eternal life. And so there are those who walk away, who, who when they hear of who Jesus is and when they hear what Jesus came to do, they decide it's too difficult, they're not interested, and they leave. It wasn't because Jesus wasn't clear in his communication. It wasn't because Jesus didn't love them enough. It wasn't because Jesus didn't do everything needed to provide for them. It's because they didn't trust Jesus as Jesus is. They didn't believe Jesus' word as it shared they walk away. Brothers and sisters, this, this scares me because this is not the Pharisees who turn away. This is not his opponents who are arguing with him who get frustrated and leave. These are the people who followed Jesus for a while, and they liked part of what he was saying, and they probably got caught up in being part of the crowd, and they liked it. But when it came to really following Jesus, they decided his words were hard. That is, as long as Jesus can be something I'm imagining and, and, and can, something I can describe and somebody I can believe and who's doing the things I want him to do, but when he starts saying, this is who I am and this is my word, it gets too difficult and they leave. And, and I think that we as disciples can find ourselves at times tempted to do that. It might not be that we ever say, oh, I'm going to stop going you know, worship. It might not be that I ever stop saying I'm a Christian. I might continue to say I believe in Jesus. I might still say I'm a disciple. But there might be times when you say this is a hard word and you stop following Jesus because his words are hard. Because there's, for every one of us, there's things in our life that Jesus' word comes into conflict and challenges us with, and we either say, this is hard, I'm, I'm going to turn away, or we say, you're right, I'm going to change. For some of you, that's the way you think of God. There, there might be things that you read in Scripture, and, and you're thinking, I can't believe this about a God. This is really difficult. This is hard to believe. But if you see it clearly in Scripture, 
Not, not because somebody else is saying, but because you see it in Scripture and you understand it from Scripture, it is a dangerous thing to say, well, I just don't want to accept that. There might be things in your life that you are kind of, you're coming apart, you're coming to places in Scripture. Maybe your Sunday school lesson is bringing up things in Scripture, and there are things in your life that you know you're not in complete obedience to God. Maybe it's with your, your handling of God's resources in your life. Maybe it's your, your time and your commitment. Maybe it's in your treatment of other people in your family or that you work with. But there, there, there is, for many of us, there are things in our life that God is confronting us through his scripture. And we're looking at it and saying it's a hard thing to take. These are hard words. I, there is, I, I, I can't imagine anyone ever coming to scripture and saying, well, this is exactly what I, I would have thought of. There, there's, there, there's something in here that's going to challenge every single person in this room. And, and what I want to invite you to do is, if there has been something that God is just kind of bringing to your attention, that there seem to be texts and, and things that kind of come and challenge you, examine your response. Are you looking for excuses to not trust the Scripture? Are you looking for ways to, to bend the Scripture to be what you want it to be and, and make Jesus who you want him to be rather than listening to who he says he is and what he does and what he commands of us? Please, don't say this is a hard saying and turn away from him. Let us all look at what Peter did. <laughs> Jesus looks to the twelve. People walking away. I mean, yeah, that's got to be just kind of discouraging. You're, you're there, and there's a lot of excitement, and they're listening, and, and suddenly everybody's leaving. And Jesus looks at the 12 and says, y'all going with them? You're going to go away too? And Peter, uh, Lord, who do we go to? You have the words of eternal life. I love that. It's kind of, well, if there was another option, I would take it, Jesus. <laughs> you know, if, <laughs> other things look more fun, but if I'm really honest, you alone have the words of eternal life. You, I, I, listen to this. He's, he's, it's not just I, I believe in the fact of Jesus, but I believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm trusting in him in such an intimate level, and I'm listening to his word because his word gives life. And so Peter says, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow your word. There's no other option. There, there's no other choice. There aren't a hundred roads to God. There is one way, and you're it. I have no option but you. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus chose the 12, and even one of those he knows will betray him. He's already pointing to the fact that he's going to die for his people, for those the Father has given to him. So, if you're struggling with something in your life, I, I, I just encourage you to look at the response and ask, am I trying to say, this is hard, I'm not going to accept it? Or are you saying, this is hard. It's difficult. I, I don't want to change in this area. But by the power of God's Holy Spirit, I recognize this alone is life. This is for my good. 
and I'm going to follow him. And if you know, you, you think through and think, well, maybe I've only been a disciple, but not really believed and trusted who he is. Maybe I've just been following a Jesus that I can make up uh, what, you know, what I think I want him to be saying, but I've never really trusted in Jesus as he says he is. I encourage you, come to the one who alone has the words of eternal life. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine, be honor and glory and power forever. Amen. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And you've been listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us and listen to other sermons at onepc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee.